Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the greatest movie or horror movie of any given year. This year we are doing 1985, and Tompkins and I decided that we were going to also do not just the good movies of 85, but all of the horror movies of 1985 as well. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host tonight. Did I say that? Who cares? It doesn't matter. Tompkins, uh, save me from this. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tompkins. I am the guest. I compete. Uh, All right, probably- Tompkins, <laughs> I'm going to save you from this. <laughs> tonight is a very special episode because none other than Alex from the Beyond the Void podcast is here with us. Alex, what is up? What's up, guys? I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate you asking me on. This is fun. Yeah. Well, it might be fun. You don't know. Oh, yet. it'll be fun. <laughs> Even if I lose, I'm going to make it fun. I've already had a drink here, so. Okay, and we did take your uh, $5,000 deposit from your credit card. If you do lose, that goes to Tompkins. So that changes things. And boy, congratulations. Can I use it. <laughs> really uh, banking Alex- on this. <laughs> oh man. Do you know how terrible that's going to be for the show if Tompkins is like stressfully trying to get points the entire time? <laughs> My uh, bookie says Alex, that Alex, I really Alex, shut up. I'll handle this. <laughs> uh, you can handle it last Boy Scout way if uh, you want to just take to, uh, Alex out on the football field yeah. just because your bookie is kind of strong. <laughs> well, Tompkins, just be warned, old Satan Claus is out there. Oh, shit. <laughs> and he's coming for you. That's fair. Water's wet. Sky is blue. Why do I love my life? Alex, before we get started, why don't you tell us about the Beyond the Void podcast? Appar- apparently, you knew that we had a podcast, and you decided to have one as well. <laughs> yeah, it was because choice. of you, really. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. One yeah, of so many we've inspired. I've been I'm doing sure. this podcast for like four years now. Um, it started out as one of my buddies who was like, hey, man, you want to do a podcast about horror? And I'd, be like, I'd love to talk about that stuff. I never get to talk to anybody about that. Where have you been my whole life? And uh, <laughs> so we started it up and we've been having fun with it. It turned into a website. It turned into YouTube. It turned into making up horror movies on the spot in the podcast. Plus, we do reviews and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of a lot of fun. Interviews, too. So how oh, would we you, don't. How would you, Ryan, I'll take this one. Thank you. Uh, how would I'm you so say sorry. that? <laughs> How would you say Tom that? Tom like, minus one point. <laughs> uh, doing the podcast for so long has like, cha- does it change the way you watch horror? Do you feel like you have like a new mindset on it or is it still same, same old thing? Well, I mean, I've definitely taken a more perspective, like looking at horror differently a little bit than just watching it. It definitely has changed me in a lot of ways, but in a, in a good way, though, because it's now I like yearn for the knowledge of like why these movies got made, how they accidentally got made and sometimes how they should have never been made or, you know, whatever it is. There's just so much history to how many people actually made this mess or this amazing film. So I love it. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it. I, I got to say going through this because I've seen like I've seen all the classic horror movies you're supposed to as a movie fan, but I don't. I've not deep dove a lot, um, and this is deep divin. Thank you, and uh, <laughs> this is definitely have this has been a deep darve through eighty five, and yeah, the stuff that I found the most interesting is 
the history of the movie. Like, how the fuck did this all come together? And every one of these movies, especially tonight's movie, Return of the Living Dead, if I didn't say that, uh, has an incredible, like, origin story. And then also the decisions in the movie. Like, I always thought that horror movies were just... Be- that people made them because they, they couldn't make a different movie. Like, they just sucked. But instead... <laughs> Watching these movies, I'm like, no, these are very talented people who made crazy decisions or uh, they were just fucked by some other situation in their, whether it was budget or studio or actors or whatever. Crazy shit happens on these movies. It's true. Pushes the creativity button pretty hard when you don't have the money. Yeah. Or some of the actors that we've seen, you got to be like, oh, no, I have to. <laughs> I got to think of some stuff to do. <laughs> I can show you the world, honestly, with uh, I have a particular taste for So Bad It's Good films, and uh, we call them Aspig films. Uh, And man, some of these and I prefer 80s and early 90s when it comes to that, because if I can laugh with my friends and like eat pizza and just like just have a blast having commentary in the background with some of these films, it's amazing. And other times, if you watch it by yourself, you're just like neat. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I had... Tuckets, do you when you watch these movies, do you like a do you like a loud audience? Do you like uh your girlfriend in the room or whatever laughing and pointing and talking? Oh uh, no, I, I am in the lab with my my white coat on, uh mixing movie materials and beakers, taking notes. I, I if I'm watching these with anyone, it's it's with uh a lab capuchin for uh, you know, purely scientific purposes. <laughs> I'm so glad you always have that second beaker so you can pour whatever is in the first beaker into that oh, second yeah. beaker. Get it all, Otherwise, get it all what bubbly. is the point of the first beaker? Yeah. Oh, man. And then it's, it doesn't matter what it is. It's going to get bubbly. I love when the science juice bubbles. <laughs> he is the other beaker. That's the problem. <laughs> the science goes in him. Often. No, my but- wife is. I, I wish I. I wish I could have more fun watching these movies, but I don't know. I've just. I feel like I've been trained that if my wife is watching with me, she'll be like, she'll laugh or shout something. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Try to watch this important piece of art. Well, I will say with new movies, that is a hundred percent true. I will scorn the person next to me. Like if it's something that I'm like, oh, this is something I've I've not seen before. I want to experience it. But at some point in the beginning of a movie you realize very quickly that this was a bad idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and that's when you're okay to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but All right, guys. I do, I, I'm getting a memo right now that says I do have to let everyone know this is a competition show. You guys will be battling it out for points. The points uh, you can cash in for my love and respect. I don't know if that convinces you to win more or win less. But we're going to take a break. And when we come back, talking about the return of the living dead they only come out at night they're mean rude and dead not them them there's a hundred of those things out there how many did you say a hundred the dead are refusing to remain buried what are we gonna do what are we gonna do we're gonna call the boss they've come back to life they're hungry and they're not vegetarians the graveyard out there is full of people coming out of the ground the horror of 1985 gave us two different Night of the Living Dead sequels, in a manner of speaking. The first movie we covered was Day of the Dead, which was part of George Romero's Dead trilogy. Romero would get the use of the phrase, of the dead, and his screenwriting partner would get the use of the living dead. 
John Russo published a novel called Return of the Living Dead, which was to be directed by horror legend Toby Hooper. When he bailed, alien writer Dan O'Bannon decided to jump on as writer-director and changed everything about the movie. O'Bannon had little interest in what Romero, Russo, and Hooper had planned, and instead created a horror comedy that lived in the world of Night of the Living Dead, but also focused on characters that weren't the Barbies and Kens we always got in those movies. He also cared not for the Romero rules of zombies and added the ability to run and talk, among other things. Taste buds, I ask you this. Does Dan O'Bannon's zero amount of fucks given as to the tropes that Romero created make this movie great or ruin it or somewhere in the middle? But don't pick that one. Pick an extreme. I'm going to say great. Um, I, I, I like this style of zombie. Um, and I, I have a soft spot even for, you know, we talked about it in, in Day of the Dead. Like, I kind of like the stuff Romero does with zombies where it's like, you know, they they might be intelligent. They can use tools, things that are sort of poo-pooed now. Um, and all the stuff that he changes about zombies in this are things that make them, like, strictly more existentially terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... It- I got to say that if I was attacked by a bunch of Romero zombies, I think I would do fine. And sure, I can jump kick like a motherfucker, but still, like, they're very slow and stupid. You could yeah. do one, and then you would probably have troubles getting the second one going, right? Well, no, I would do one, and the rest would be like, oh, damn, he can jump kick? I'm out of here. <laughs> Alex, what do you think? Do you think that he ruined Romero or uh, changed the game? No, I think he elaborated on it. I think it's a it's a... Like he said, existentially more terrifying because you can't stop them. And every chance you make to stop them, you can only contain them. So it is not only just more terrifying, it's also hilarious uh, in a lot of aspects. It's got some really dark humor in there. And I think Dan Dan was right in his choice. And I guarantee you, he changed it for the better. Because no offense to Russo. I love Russo. But I think that this was a Dan O'Bannon help because <laughs> like, yeah. some of his other Russo- movies are not so great. Russo does not seem like the talent of the duo. No, uh, maybe he was. Maybe he was very handsome. Uh, I can't believe that this comes from the writer of Alien. Like it's that's hard to tell. But you got to make the movie that you're interested in, and this is what interested Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> Let's. Let's talk more generically, though, about rules, vampire rules, horror rules, genre rules. Do you guys, are you guys strict about anything like that? Does anything like that upset you when they're broken or is every movie its own movie? I only care about internal consistency. I, 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 I don't like it Talk when people things. break their own rules, but I have never been a huge fan of the idea of like, and and you see this with both zombies and vampires and to a lesser extent werewolves, but werewolves aren't as big of a thing in general where like i i kind of think that like the commonly accepted rules for what makes a zombie or a vampire uh have gotten like boring over time like like for vampires they've stripped away so much of like the superstitious sort of lore and then with zombies you know it's 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 become where it's like they're just supposed to be shambling mounds shoot them in the brain whatever but that just makes it like predictable um and so I, I like the fact that someone was like, I'm going to make my own zombie, and then I'm going to stick with that. And this does stick with everything that it sets up. Yeah, I agree, actually, 100%. <laughs> I think it, it is definitely, 
It's one of those movies. I, I don't know. There's something about it that really I don't care when people change up when like he said internally that may be conflicting because you've built a fan base around a certain thing. But externally if you're creating something new, it's good to push the boundaries. And that's why zombies even though we're like oh another zombie movie when they do something new we're like oh but maybe you know like this one might be good <laughs> so that's how also, i feel I mean, about just it imagine that imagine the life you would live if every time they change rules of a certain genre or trope you got upset about that <laughs> imagine <laughs> just like imagine what your life would be like that would be awful <laughs> I, I can imagine it by going onto Twitter, but it does not <laughs> seem true. like yeah. the life that I want. I try to separate those things because life is pretty crazy. So <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to make what? problems when there isn't any. Besides the like the overall obviousness of like how how much more scary these zombies would be in real life, and they're probably real a little bit than the Romero movies. Um, what do you think enticed O'Bannon? Like. Based on just watching this movie, what do we think about him and his filmmaking and what he tries to what he's trying to say? What is hard, you know, like uh, and, and Tompkins, I'm so sorry. This is for points. So oh oh, so be, should I be smart? get good? Yeah, it just <laughs> okay. it, it, you had that you had those eyes where you were about to say something real fucking dumb. So uh-huh. uh, say something smart instead. Okay, putting my smart eyes in. Uh, I think that. <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. No, uh, knowing that he wrote Alien, I think that that what really stands out to me is like a- Alien is like you know, there's so much body horror in it. It's about like men getting pregnant and men being like uh, violated in sort of a sexual way and like flipping that that dynamic. And even though it wouldn't like, I I would have never thought like, oh, this, is, this must have been the guy who made Alien. There's so much, uh, so much, so much of the same stuff. But he is playing with sort of like body. Like one thing that this movie does that I haven't seen in many other zombie movies is like really captures the dread of turning, and not of just of turning, but of like being a zombie. And so like the number, like probably the biggest Romero rule that he breaks is that these zombies like talk and communicate. But um, there's like that one scene where they basically interrogate a zombie and ask uh, her what it's like to be a zombie. And it's like, this is a, a never ending nightmare for you. This is awful. This is like the worst thing you could become. Yeah, for I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy to uh, sort of get their point of view. Um, they they basically what I the way that I read that scene is that they hosted a podcast. They put mics in front of everybody's faces and they interviewed a zombie, and <laughs> it's it, it it seems like a real fucking shitty life. And I also like the setup too of. Uh, like 20 minutes before that, it was like, well, this weird doctor's going into the what rigor mortis means a little too deeply. I don't, I don't know why he's talking about it this much, uh, but it does pay off of just like, no, we need the brains because it's it's not just I don't care about Romero's rules and I want to make jokes. There are actual explanations to how like the zombie anatomy and feeding system works that made sense and I sort of liked. Yeah, I, I just. As a very quick aside, I thought it was interesting that the pains that this movie takes to like foreshadow everything and to like um there's a there's a point where someone falls through a step, which is 
happens at least once in every horror movie, there would be no need for you to be like, well, well how does how does the step, fall? you know, but he has someone going down the steps earlier. Be like, watch that third step. It's a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Check upstairs. <laughs> you know, I think I, I think he yeah, also ahead, um, I, I mean, I think he, he's probably a little bit more familiar with comedy in the same regard, though. Even though I do agree 100% that there is some really serious, like the whole rigor mortis thing is really detailed. And it almost feels like when I think of somebody working on somebody in rigor mortis, I think about how they work that arm and how he talks about that. And it's almost like he actually got that information from the source. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's like straight dialogue from somebody that does that kind of stuff. Wait, you think he interviewed a zombie? Well, maybe not the zombie, but Ernie, the the character who who uh, pushes the rigor mortis out of the bones, out of the muscles, uh-huh. uh, just that particular thing. He's like, you won't find that in a book, blah, 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 which is pretty interesting. But he also did Dark Star, which was one of his first feature films, Dan O'Bannon. And right. usually when you start a feature film, you pick the one that's closest to your chest as far as how you feel and how you are, maybe, I would assume. So comedy is probably... Well, well, you know, it's debatable whether Dark Star is really funny. <laughs> it is still funny to him. So I think, I don't know. It has a big, it has a mix of both. I definitely get that too. Of the whole, I, I think the movie could come off as this guy wants to give a middle finger to horror movies. You know, like they're stupid and I'm better than that. <laughs> but I think that he actually respects horror movies. Yeah. And also he, he doesn't respect whatever people think his comedy should be like this guy's making himself laugh only and if you laugh as well that's fine come along for the ride yeah that's kind of the impression i got plus he makes characters that are extremely interesting his characters in this movie each have their little nugget of spotlight and they all kind of you kind of start to like who they are and where they're going and what they're doing even if they're pieces of shit they're good guys i mean there's trash who's a piece of trash there's chains <laughs> he wears chains a lot she's intense uh, by the way trash <laughs> there's, there's two yeah. th- there's two shoes he's always got his two shoes on there's colostomy bag <laughs> he's always got a oh. colostomy bag going back to the whole like uh i don't know consistency within the your own world that you created though do we have that here at least as far as we typically hear because it feels like there's a lot of stuff going on where people become zombies very immediately. Uh, some people become zombies over the course of the entire movie. And although I, I really liked watching all of those different things that happen, does the green gas that they sort of unleash do whatever the green gas needs to do in the scene? I think so, because having the... It, it seems like the, the logic that they've set up is that there's two zombification processes. There's getting hit with the gas itself and then there, uh, uh, while you're alive and then there's getting hit with the gas while you're dead. And if you're dead... I get it. You just like wake up, hey, I'm a zombie now, what's up? If you're alive, it's a long, slow, painful thing, which, uh, you know, when you... That's sort of like, you know, the, this like sort of like dark existential humor or whatever the point it gets you to at the end where it's like, are they going to be able to hold out? Are they going to like, you already know, like all of these people are doomed because they've been exposed to like the actual like agent itself. Um, And that just makes like the, yeah, the, the, the way that it does wrap up like a little more 
I don't know, funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I mean that's it though. Like there there's punchlines, right? There's jokes, there's setups and punchlines and classic jokes, but there's also like overarching, like just this whole mood that he sets up is like I I'm 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 gonna treat everything in this Dan O'Bannon way. We'll get to that later with the uh comedy part. But unfortunately, guys, we're out of time right now for this segment. We still have sixteen other segments, so don't be sad. Coming up next, Mount Rushmore. Gentlemen, you know what that sound means. It's Mount Rushmore time. Instead of picking the four greatest presidents who should go on a mountain, we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to keep those same four presidents' heads, but we're going to change their hairdo. And we're going to give them all fucking mohawks. Hell yeah. Uh, Tompkins, what does a mohawk mean to you? (laughs) Uh, This is why I I went to journalism school, is to ask these questions. Party up top, business on the sides. Some business on the sides? Uh, no, it's like a business okay. haircut uh, on the sides. It's party <laughs> up top. Come on. Uh, Alex, uh, <laughs> when you see someone with a mohawk in your day-to-day life, uh, <laughs> do you do you judge them? Do you run from them? What do you do? How do you handle this person? Um, I actually, well, first of all, don't touch it, okay? Because like, that's the first thing everybody wants to do. I've had a mohawk, and that is literally one of the biggest pet peeves you could ever. <laughs> Can I just touch it? It's like, no, I spent three hours doing this. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I think of like, uh, you know, I think of like the old 80s and 90s, like when uh, people were just kind of getting out there, getting wild and stuff. But, you know, you see them today. It's a little different, I guess. But I had one. I loved it. it makes me feel like. As Nicolas Cage from Wild at Heart said, my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably it's, a, the personal that's a freedom haircut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have also haircut. had one. I was in a band uh, right out of high school and we had a show. We had a, our first big show. Uh, major, major thing. It was pay to play. We had to sell all the tickets or we had to give the person (laughs) money in order to let us play at the show and uh, i did it and then it was cool for that night and then i had to live with that hair for like 12 (laughs) or 13 months top kids have you ever had one uh i have not i do not care to put time into my hair as you can see i do think it's interesting that your hair which is one of the things you are most sensitive about and ashamed of you decided to highlight in such a way. <laughs> yeah, you Alex, know why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I guess I'm a piece of sh- No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, it's funny because, like, when I had a mohawk, um, there would be days that, you know, I didn't throw it up because, yeah, I was using a fucking flat iron. <laughs> And uh, a lot of hairspray. And uh, it was very frustrating sometimes when you messed it up and you had to redo it. Um, But there would be times that I would go out and people didn't even know who the hell I was because I didn't have my mohawk up. So it almost That's how famous your mohawk got? It really really was a big deal. Like, I was in a band and people were like, do I know you? And I'm like, yeah, I fucking drank with you every night. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's weird. I don't know why. They just don't they don't know. They just see it. It's like a moniker. It's like your thing. 
The one thing that everybody knows about Mohawks is that they're in movies all the time and very famously. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to give the president the four most iconic Mohawks in movie history. If you get onto the mountain, gentlemen, you will get a point. And remember, the Ryan special is out there. If you get the Ryan special, that is three points and not just one. And it's automatically on the mountain. Alex, you are the guest. We are starting with you. What is? And so this is the easiest spot. Slam dunk. Here we go. Boom shakalaka. What mohawk is clearly going on the mountain? Well, are we starting from the bottom to the top? I just, no, whatever the top, whatever you definitely think should be on here, say it. The number one, I would have to say, is Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver. Woo, doggy. Number one. Why? Because that is one of the most iconic movies. It's uh, Even if you don't agree with it, it's just one of those movies I mean, that sticks with you. The plot of the movie is basically a guy goes crazy and gets a mohawk. <laughs> it was the mohawk that did it. Like uh, People don't know this, but... <laughs> I mean, how many for how many years after that movie came out were people in real life going that crazy and like, oh, I, I like my hairstyle, but I got to do it. And they just gave themselves a mohawk. Well, and what was well, that movie that they came out with not too long ago in the 90s about the punks? And then the, the, the guy that shaved his head just like that named Bob. And then he died from like a heroin overdose in the movie. And it was like, oh, Alex, I have some bad news, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry, I came ill prepared, but that, the that no, 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 the '90s was actually a really long time ago. You said <laughs> a movie from not that long ago. It no, was that just was yesterday for me. <laughs> yeah, Travis Bickle for sure. Tompkins, can you top that? I I think that there is actually a, a number two with a bullet in this category. Nothing nothing tops Travis Bickle, um, but I think that this is also an auto include Clubber Lang from Rocky Three. Wow! Ooh. Because the A Team was a movie that we don't talk about, but Mr. Yeah. T on the A Team TV show clearly iconic. Where yeah. are we going to go with that movie wise? It's Rocky Three. Yeah, is that what we said? Yeah, okay. It was. I got a. Oops, I gave Alex a point. Sorry, Tompkins, you're getting two points. Uh, <laughs> Tompkins. Come yeah, on. Clever Lang is definitely on there. We have two spots filled, and yet the Ryan one still is out there. Alex, where are we going? Um, I would have to go with uh, Vernon Wells from Mad Max 2. He was one of the villains in the movie, and he was insane. He was most memorable, and they even had him in another movie called Weird. Or, Weird Science, yeah. He was from in that 1985? movie with the Mohawk. Huh? That movie is from 1985. Uh, oh. Vernon Wells is, uh, <laughs> I... is a retired Toronto Blue Jay You're outfielder. right, you're right. And I don't know what you're talking about. So, Tom, actually... it's your turn. Um, I'm going to go with a choice that honors uh, the historical origin of the Mohawk and pick Magua from Last of the Mohicans. Okay, is this insensitive, what you're doing right now? Uh, I don't think so, but I'm okay. sure someone will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sure right. enough to tell you, but I did want to ask, because that clears me and directs all complaints to you. Um, <laughs> so is this is this the DDL? The DDL? Yes, is this Daniel Day-Lewis that is rocking yes, this Yes, the Mohawk? Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Okay, uh, the DDL. No, 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 oh, sorry. Magua is the, the villain from uh, Last of the Mohicans, but he I is uh, Cherokee, uh, at least. 
So so he is Native American, whereas Daniel Day-Lewis is from Potatoville. I'm going to put that on the maybe pile, but I will say that uh, in a weird way, Tompkins got very close to the Ryan one. Alex, you're up. What do you got? Well, first of all, I just want to clear my name on the Vernon Wells guy, okay? <laughs> he was in Weird Science with a mohawk. So that is true. That is 100% true in 1985, by the way. No. I believed you. He's just not going on the mountain. <laughs> well, I because I thought about it, I was like, oh yeah, was it? Um, I guess one's... more than one person can be named Vernon Wells. It's unlikely, yes. but I guess it happened. Vernon right, who Wells, else you got? He's a big guy. He was in Commando. He was in quite a few movies. Actually, he was the bad guy in Commando as well. If you've ever seen that, that gets the pipe shoved right through him. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it uh, let off some steam? What's that? that what Arnold, Arnold puts the pipe through him and says, let all some steam. Yes, yes, that's the <laughs> one. Um, Our- so my third one, <laughs> shit. Uh, <laughs> this is tough. I got to be honest. Like, this is tough. Like, Mohawk's in 85. Um, no, no, one- any year. It could be any year, any movie. Well, okay, well, I just want to make sure. I was like, is it? does it have to be 85? So I'm going to go with Mr. T and DC Cab. You want you want this Rushmore to have two Mr. T's on it? Yeah, well, I mean that was if what I had. Deserves. The only other one I have another one, but that was yeah. And just so you know, Alex, this is more of like a Marvel cab family, so I don't know if that's going to go on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna only we're gonna leave it to one Mr. T on the mountain right now, uh, but he's on the baby pile. Tompkins, where are we going? Uh, speaking of being a, a Marvel cab family, I nominate the most high tech Mohawk of them all, Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh shit! Ooh. He's blue. Is this okay? Is this insensitive of you to say? Again, I, that's not for me to decide. Okay, the I'm gonna mouth do it on the runs, baby. and people tell me what what is there is not okay. I'm going to put him on the baby. We're in speed around now. Alex, do you have any more characters? I do. Give me one. Okay. Uh, so in the movie Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick plays Ferris Bueller, of course. <laughs> yes, in he does. In the shower scene, he has a singing moment, and I would say that that should be put on Mount Rushmore oh, just because. I'm, Classic I'm gonna movie. Do, I'm going to do that one. Ferris Bueller on the mount. <laughs> Man. Tompkins, anybody else? Pound for pound, that mohawk is pulling weight. Um, <laughs> I'll go ahead and nominate. This is the last one, guys. Here we go. Oh, gosh, I don't know. See, you threw me off with uh, your so close thing. Because I'm like, did Daniel Day Lewis ever have a mohawk? Did he? Like, what? What is going on there? Um. I'll say heroin Bob from SLC Punk. That's what I was there talking we, about. There it is. That's There's what the, I was talking about. <laughs> There's the very recent movie from 1996 that we were talking about before. <laughs> I tried. I tried. And actually, you know what? I'm moving him on. Tompkins. It's yeah. heroin Bob. Moving on. Your Ryan pick was Stripe from Gremlins. Um, uh, famously had a mohawk. Mm. But your Mount Rushmore... Of movie Mohawks is as follows: Travis Bickle, Clubber Lang, Ferris Bueller, and Heroin Bob. That is a that is a fucking 
DC cab that I want to get to and party all night with. When we come back, more <laughs> about Return of the Living Dead. This segment brings people together. It's really <laughs> something special. <laughs> <laughs> What a wonderful round of Rushmore. But we do have to talk about the movie now. <laughs> Gentlemen, let me ask you this. Uh, does comedy and the horror in Return of the Living Dead play well together? Or do you guys think that they step on each other's feet? I think it's perfect. Explain. I think it's a perfect marriage of the two. I think they do it well because not only is it dark comedy, which is one of my favorites, <laughs> But also, it does it in a fun way that also is paying homage to zombies in this new mythos, I guess, with new rules. Yeah. And yet, uh, the big one is, I, I think the big question is, is it ever jarring? Like, ever, are you ever, do you ever have, like, uh, you know, a sprained neck from going from horror to comedy and back and forth too quickly? Oh. In particular, no. No, I, I actually, one of my favorite movies of all time is probably horror uh, comedy. And that is uh, Dead Alive, a.k.a. Brain Dead. One of the worst uh, comedy gore comedies that you could probably ever find. Uh, it desensitizes you by the end of the movie. But some of the some, some of the jokes in there are just so out of the ordinary. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me so much. But it can be done wrong. Like, it seems like some newer movies sometimes try to push that comedy too fast. And that's when I get bothered. Do you know, yeah. uh, Topkins, where I thought it was wrong was House. Yeah. You know, uh, we in our Patreon show, hey, everyone, if you're not a Patreon person, sign up, and then you get to hear the three of us talk about House. Uh, that's, that's the best commercial I can give for Patreon. <laughs> um, but I thought House was way too jarring and back and forth. I didn't see it in this. Tompkins, did you? No, and especially, like, House has, you know, it's really... House is doing comedy and then it's doing horror and it sometimes can't decide which one it's doing at any given moment. But the comedy is like very wink, wink, nudge, nudge, aw shucks. Um, you know, isn't it big. crazy? We're doing comedy in a horror movie. Yeah. Whereas as this there, there are very other than like background uh, things. There are very few things in this that I would even categorize as like a straight up just joke. The it's more working through like light parody. It feels like, um, especially the the performances. Um, because if you and it, it it it's so great that so much of what's going on here ties into the other eighty five movies we've done. Um, because you have you you see a similar performance in uh friday the 13th part five and in this you see a similar performance in nightmare on elm street in this and then there's the overacting in day of the dead versus the overacting here and it feels like this huh. is just taking the kind of like i don't know acting style that has become common in 80s horror and is just basically saying like add an extra like 10 or put 20 percent on top of that just to push it into like ridiculousness 
even if you've been an actor, if if you're an actor that's been in other quote unquote normal movies, you know, and you're you're a veteran, still forget all of that shit. We're not doing that right now. Just like boost it up ten or twenty percent as hard as you can. Yeah, I I do like Alex. Do you agree with that though? That there aren't actual jokes in this movie. Like, are there points where they're like, okay, that that's a fucking that's a, that was a joke right there. A lot of it is situational, but there are some things that are in it like. An example would be that's very slight is that the cemetery, the, the actual funeral home is called Resurrection Funeral Home. That's a slight little nod joke. That, that's Plus what they I got some by... background stuff going on there, too. Yeah, that's what I was. There's that. And then the other one I noticed is that in the medical lab, there's one real eye chart. And then there's a different yes. eye chart that says it's like Bob is a piece of shit. Slave driver. It, yeah, I actually wrote like it that. down. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it says on the eye chart. It says Bert is a slave driver and a yeah. cheap son of a bitch who's also going bald. Yes. Now, <laughs> I also love like being a slave driver. That is uh, that's a terrible insult. And then <laughs> to throw in on the end, also going bald. By the way, yeah. I don't know if you noticed up top. Yeah. Uh, by the way, now Alex, certainly... when you wrote those down, did you cover one eye? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I have my contacts in. That's good. <laughs> it's always good to have contacts, be networking. Um, there's two There's two major comedic things that I want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, that I think the movie is famous for. And the first one is, hey, send more ambulances. And to <laughs> me, this is, this is sort of groundbreaking. What happens is um, that people will come to the, the situation of the movie to help out cops and robbers. And uh, <laughs> then the zombies will eat these people. And then the zombies will climb into the cop car and say, hey, uh, send more cops when you have a chance so that they can eat more. That's pretty good. If you're going to give zombies a chance to talk, that is what they would say, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps perhaps this is Dan O'Bannon's commentary on fast food. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every fat kid that I knew when I was a child, and this is not fucking projecting. I don't know why you would think that. Uh, all they said was more French fries, please, and that's and that's what we watch these zombies do. <laughs> but going back to our last segment, that seems like the kind of thing that would like really make zombie purists, you know, cringe. Is that in order to get this joke, they're gonna freak out about this? I think it was worth it. Yeah, I I think uh, I, I respect like the boldness of that choice in in general to have the zombies talk because it really is uh, a moment very early on too where it's like you're in or you're out right now, and they were willing to just like throw that down and then yeah use it for for good effect I thought, um, but yeah the 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 thing I, I liked about the the comedy just in general is that. It felt more. I mean, I think it's making like legitimate commentary as as well, um, to to like a surprising degree, and also that it's it's more of like, yeah, it's it's more of like creating comedic situations than it is going for like the line. And that's interesting too. We talked about how the script is very structured it's very check off right like it's doing it's it's job to set up stuff but it's not just to set up the gun that is used to murder somebody but it's also used to set up the jokes as well like this guy i feel like this guy could write an episode of 
a sitcom, you know, yeah. and it would like he just understands how the format works. Yeah, I mean it. It it is. Uh, it might seem like a silly comparison to someone who hasn't seen it, but there's a lot of like kind of Doctor Strangelove uh, vibes in this movie. I can see that. I could definitely see that, especially by the end. Yeah. Well, because they both, yeah, and and the you know we talked about like uh, with the zombies, but the other thing too is that they Pockets. they basically set up that there's one character in the beginning who also like very Chekhov style pops in to say like yeah we're still looking for these zombies that, you know and uh, I have a big fancy computer to use if that ever happens, which is. Also, just another thing hanging over of this. Like, there's all of these different ways where it's like, these people are, like, so beyond fucked from the start. Which I also think is why um, having the sort of, like, cheesy 80s stereotype of a punk character um, fill out most of the cast really works. Because that's, like, the whole vibe of punk is, like, we're fucked anyway, so we're going to be, like, loud and make noise. And... They're correct because someone's about to shoot a nuke at them. And perhaps maybe because the movie was in 1985, you know, even though the punk era started in the late 70s and stuff, you know, up until 80s, like they kind of he kind of grasped the whole situation of what punks felt like and what they were doing, because there's that one scene in the movie where trash is trying to hit on spooky. And yeah. he's like, have some fucking respect for the dead. Yeah. <laughs> Which is well, so that, and it, funny. Like, and then yeah, this isn't a costume. It's, this it's is the, the way outfit of life. part. It's the like it's yeah, okay, everybody have respect for the dead for sure. But it's the way that he's like, Man, I spent so much money on this fit and no one gives it the respect that it deserves. <laughs> and I yeah. think about that with punk rockers all the time, is that they are anti-culture. They're counterculture. And they spent so much time and money <laughs> in like creating that thing, you know? And But I don't think that the movie is making fun of punks. I think it's sort of saying, you know, like in the intro, I said he was, Dan O'Bannon was tired of all the Barbies and Kens and zombie movies. I think Dan O'Bannon like, likes having this counterculture starring in his movie, you know? I yeah. also think that it's important too because, like, when trash is like, have you ever fantasized about dying? <laughs> Which is so hilarious. Like, everything she says, let's go in there. Also, you know, can Linnea I just say, Quigley is amazing. Real quick, it's a, it's a super forced, weird thing that trash says, and also literally every person I hung out with in high school. Like, that is exactly <laughs> what they sounded like. <laughs> I talk, talking about humor. I, I think that 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 character is an interesting one to hone in on because uh, with like sexuality and nudity in horror movie, it's it's again you have that like extra you know twenty percent on top where it's like how many movies have we seen this season where someone is like, all right, well, let me hop in the shower quick. And you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of shit because the internet didn't exist. So this is how we got our boobs. Uh, <laughs> but there's so many characters that are like, wait, hold on. There's a monster coming. I have yeah. to take off my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. Um, well, I, th it, I think it's a little bit more intentional with this and it's a little bit more because Linnea Quigley is definitely one of those people that is uh, kind of the woman power type. In yeah, many horror movies actually, in particular, 
including Night of the Demons, which is one of those ones. But, I mean, we do have to deal with the fact that she she is part of Dan O'Bannon's joke and commentary, right? Yeah. On the genre. And then also, it's as exploitative as every other horror movie is with with an actress like this. Well, it's like you straight up see pussy in this movie <laughs> like it's it's the the nudity is like way more wild than i didn't think that you were allowed to do that <laughs> <laughs> well i and i have a little bit of an interesting point on that whole situation when she does that dance they made her one first shave uh-huh then they were like, well, this is not working at all because we can see everything. <laughs> this will never go on TV. So then they made a cod piece. And she said one of the most upsetting parts was ha- actually making her shave. Yeah. Because this, this was that, the 80s, of course. That so, would be upsetting. <laughs> and yeah. then, but then she had to wear a like a pubic wig. A cod piece that went, had string that was... I think like the filament that they use to pull stuff like for ghosts and stuff that was like a bikini. <laughs> Good for and that. She had to dance with that. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this. I know they know the Halloween story about uh, Michael Myers's face, but that was also in this movie. It was a copy of William Shatner's crotch that she had to wear. So, <laughs> and that is at every planet. Little Hollywood. people didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also think, I mean, obviously, uh, there, there are reasons to critique that scene as well, but it is uh, correctly identifying the reason behind a major trope in 80s horror, which is like, all right, now something for the horny boys. And it also, I can see why... How is that not the name of our podcast? <laughs> horny boys. <laughs> Um, oh god that theme song would be something uh, for the horny a lot horse. of moans uh, in it I would assume yeah, yeah. Fiona um, Apple came in and sang it <laughs> but yeah I, I think that it also sort of makes sense because I think that this is like you know again like a cold war threat of nuclear annihilation in a very real way movie and so with the the punk which is like a very you know like hyperactive overperformance kind of thing in and of itself. Like so much of that has to do with this feeling of like, you know, we're fucked. The world is going to like blow us up. No one cares about us. And, uh, I, I think it certainly makes sense to, um, if you're, if you're being funny about horror to look at the, uh, the hauntiness aspects of horror, I, I guess I probably would not have demanded that the actors shave. That that maybe, yeah, a bit much, right? <laughs> it was well, not something I le- would have done. At least just make it fair. <laughs> just like she gave yeah. you that weird look when you demanded that, and then be like, and also all actresses shave. I demand every actress shave. Yeah. I don't even care if you're whether you're working on the movie or not. Everyone shave. <laughs> I'm a film director. Goodbye. <laughs> But a a point to point out that you were talking about earlier, and I kind of derailed you guys a little bit on that, was that you were saying that she was wearing this character inside the character on the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where she was playing this punk character, and so was Spooky, and so was everybody. But the, the, the actual zombies shed that from them because she's all into death, 
and she talks about getting, you know, eaten by a bunch of guys, and then bunch it of happens. old men, <laughs> right? And she suddenly, her character of her, the character of her own making that the character is in the movie is shed, and she's now nor- a normal person. Do you know what I mean? She's put into this position where she has to kind of be herself. But she also one one I think area where I I thought especially in like a, a script that was really structured uh, w- one thing that did feel a little bit um unexplored was it seemed like at one point while writing this they had the idea that she would become some sort of weird femme fatale zombie because she has that like pale white skin and you know she's like sort of featured Zombies. once she resurrects again um, but nothing quite came of it. Um, and then also the, the, the moment, yeah, it's, it's a, like, you know, similar to being like, don't step on the third step. She's very like, uh, basically like, it turns me on to think about getting eaten alive by old men. And then sure enough, um, and I guess there's, there's two ways to look at that. One is, this is kind of like a gross 80s male um, view of like female sexuality. That was like, I think a big thing back then continues to be so, but was especially big then of, of like uh, male artists being like the, the, the female desire to be destroyed by man is quite fascinating. And it's sort of a burden on me to provide <laughs> that destruction for them. <laughs> um but there is also again i think the the sort of like punk aspect of it as well and i think both things are sort of happening at once where like and especially because this is basically dealing with like fetish and and a lot of that stuff is like based on uh fear and anxiety that people have in finding so, trying to find some way to like control that and introduce a measure of like agency and so the idea of her sort of fantasizing about the thing that is in fact going to happen to her again just like fits the the sort of cold war vibe and i think i think that's also a trope that you find in horror movies in general is that the foreshadowing of of things that you said earlier in the movie as well but also being her being in control of her own self and her own nudity or dancing or whatever is also sort of empowering at the time at the same time even yeah. though they kind of have that spooky moment which is not so flattering of that situation but I'm sorry guys like I'm so engaged by your conversation but we do have to move on uh so let's do that. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to do a segment that's going to be way less interesting than the conversation that you two were just having. And then <laughs> after that, we'll get back to more good talking. Gentlemen, we have to take a break from our uh, regular, regularly scheduled Return of the Living Dead talk because I right now, <laughs> this is going to be crazy that I didn't tell you this before, I just came into a briefcase of $3 billion. What? And, yeah. And I'm going to make three movies, each with a budget of a billion dollars. <laughs> uh, oh, and my I, God. 
I need people to pitch those movies to me, but I don't have good ideas. I look, I find briefcases. Okay, you guys have ideas. Well, I found That's a briefcase full of ideas today, so I think we can make something happen here. Okay, well, I found <laughs> I found that before you did. So, uh, so what we're gonna do is, um, just because I also don't think you guys are good at ideas, I'm going to um, pick a random eighty-five popular movie. And then uh, what I want to do is I want to go back in time. Also, that's going to take some of the budget, right? Building a time machine. And yeah. uh, do the movie, but make it horror instead of what it was. So Tompkins and I had better movies to watch throughout this season. Mm. So only $900 million. All right. Your first movie is Cocoon, <laughs> a movie that we tried last episode. But uh, our guest, Simone, had never heard of the movie or movies <laughs> or uh, or the noun Cocoon. Yeah. Okay. And we are going to we're gonna remake that movie as a techno horror movie. Gentlemen, okay. give me your pitch. Wow. Well obviously... Does it have to be from eighty <laughs> five? No, the tech can be from today. And then okay, we'll take it good. back to nineteen eighty five, which is the scariest thing of all. Oh like, god, when there's if you go back to eighty five with an iPad, everyone's gonna start screaming. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're going to be finding something a little unsettling in this cocoon of bears. Right. Bears? Could VR. be bears. Could be techno bears. Could be VR. In fact, it will be techno bears. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that if you put techno before any word, it's probably going to work. <laughs> cocoon, colon, rise of the techno bears. Oh, shit, Tompkins, you're racking up points. Like... Look, this movie doesn't have music. It has techno music. What? <laughs> How scary is that? And oatmeal. So much oatmeal, obviously. And it, is this normal oatmeal or digital oatmeal in some or way? Or techno oatmeal. Techno oatmeal. God damn it, Tompkins. <laughs> you, you know how much I love a tech portmanteau. All right. That movie we're going to move on from. Uh, the next movie that we're going to go back in time and remake is Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Okay. But we're going to do exorcism horror. <laughs> Which one? Exorcism. So Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Well, obviously but... Pee Wee is infected with exorc- like some sort of demon. Yeah. Clearly. What or kind is of it demon? Large Marge? I, a oh, demon shit. that makes okay. him go to um, adult movie theaters and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do something a little inappropriate. <laughs> Wait, but like what? Uh, ah! Like, uh, you know, um, stroking the salami, uh-huh. beating the meat, um, mm. pulling one okay. Educational films, right? Yeah. All right, so hold on. Most movies are about, most exorcism horror movies are about how to get the demon out of your body, right? Yes. Fair. Is this is this how he does it? Then he's gonna self exercise. <laughs> yeah, is that what you call it? And then decorate the theater of his own juices. <laughs> and Demon then large Marge comes out. I think it's gonna be. I think that the here's a here's a bit. He um is trying to self exercise, but he does not have the spiritual know-how and so he has to call uh a special priest and 
I think Christ. the bike is infected with a demon, and it's possessed. And when he rides it, that's when he gets possessed. Okay. Think about it. Uh, yeah. I'll buy it. Your next movie is Teen Wolf. Please don't be werewolf. I swear to God, if this is werewolf, I'm going to freak out. That would make things really easy for me. It's vampire. Uh, All right, guys. Teen Wolf. <laughs> but now we're going to do a vampire wait, movie. What? <laughs> oh, my God. So it does still need to be called Teen Wolf, right? Sure. So I guess that this is going to, it's going to wind up being sort of like an underworld thing where. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, so, so let's, let's imagine this. He becomes a werewolf. He's like, what am I going to do with this? Immediately, I'm going to dunk on some fools. But, uh, his team then becomes amazing, right? They go to state, uh, or whatever playoffs, whatever the fuck they do for high school basketball. And then he realizes, damn, this team is good. There's something up about them. And he realizes... They're vampires. Vampires. <laughs> that right. They are vampires. <laughs> they are and he in falls fact in love with one of the other teammates' girlfriends, but gets bitten by one of the, the head teammates on the opposing team I'm and sorry, becomes werewolf team werewolf gets... vampire. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> this... But I love how, he's although he's both a vampire and a werewolf... Teen comes first. Teen is the yep. thing that you really need <laughs> oh, yeah. to know about this character. I don't think I would be able to watch the movie if it didn't have that. Yeah. All right. That one I'm definitely going to buy. Your next movie is Out of Africa, uh, a movie that I've never seen, but I know uh, is filmed in Africa and just focuses <laughs> on white people. And this is Werewolf, guys. It's just a werewolf movie. Um, let me Wait, just what? remember <laughs> what Out of Africa has in it. In any degree. So, all right, white people in Africa, werewolf. This is gonna. Uh, how do you do this? It's it's already so problematic, and we are opening the door to. I got it. I got thank it. Thank you. <laughs> white people come to America to shoot. Uh, wait, let's see. Let's see. It says in 20th century colonial Kenya, a Danish baroness, plantation owner, has a passionate love affair with a free spirited big game hunter. Oh wait, I okay. have something now. I this game. So an far, idea. I love the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> I I want to see from Jordan Peele a like uh, anti colonial. You know they're mm. they're like here they're interacting with the the Kenyan people or whatever, <laughs> and the Kenyan people just totally uh, werewolf out and maul them or whatever. Right, <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's the only way you could do it because they shouldn't be colonizing there. So yeah, clearly the or, Baroness needs to get on with her business. Or because so the, the the yeah the the thing and and I'm sure. Uh, you know Jordan Peele, who I've I've tasked with creating this, would would handle it. But obviously, any uh, any movie where African people like change into beasts and stuff is gonna uh, put people on edge. Another way that you could go to get around that is you have these these uh, do goody white people coming in, but then the secret is they're the werewolves, and the whole yeah. time they want that I to. think is the secret. Because what I want to see is from the African people, uh, these 
terrible white people also become werewolves and the African people don't notice. Yeah. Like, basically, <laughs> that's how white people act all of the time anyway. And so, <laughs> yeah. They have to stop them and unite around this uh, to stop the Baroness and the plantation owner uh, yeah. from falling in love. And uh, it's actually a celebration oh. by the end. I, that's I love I love a love story that the goal is to stop the love. Like yeah. they, we're we're all on the prowl to make sure they don't fall in yeah. love. I and I'm not say, single, just to be clear. So yeah, <laughs> well, seriously, I I would watch both versions of of this one. I think this one is a slam dunk. Yeah. All right, your next one is Santa Claus the movie in 1985. Uh, a movie studio decided we're going to tell the origins of santa claus mm. and they did it and it starred um dudley moore and john lithgow neither one as santa claus uh but we're <laughs> going to remake it but it's a, now it's now body horror guys <laughs> it's now it's now a body horror movie what what are we going to do here okay i i have something right away um it's it's the the origin story of santa claus but we're going to add sort of a um like the fly technology angle to it where he's is he's trying to transform himself into the ultimate santa by taking christmas injections and the body horror comes from these injections going awry and his his rosy red cheeks suddenly become giant and swollen pus filled things and he gets you are literally, big. as you describe this person, staring directly at me. You get to big, <laughs> fat he becomes. Stop. Stop. So big. And, to... and... What if we did something different, though? Because, I mean, this movie <laughs> is about a toy manufacturer that attempts to take over Christmas. Mm. So what if that toy manufacturer is this large conglomerate and its toys turn people into body horrors killing Christmas? Like they Wait, turns like them into body horror, or is it like, like uh, they play with the toys, and because of it doing so, they they break out of their boxes or whatever, and and then mold their toys into the bodies of people, and then try to attack Santa. What if it's like that? I mean, not that I believe in Santa, but I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we could. I think we could do that, and there is still room for a fat, stupid ginger oh. Santa. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. Maybe Santa gets taken over by the end, and uh, they do cancel Christmas. Tompkins, when you brought up the fly, I thought you were going to say that he Santa sets up the two things, and he thinks he's going to be able to like transport the presents to <laughs> people's houses, but something goes wrong, and he combines with a present, and then we have this awful half human, half Christmas present walking around, being disgusting. I like All that right. one. <laughs> These are, I think we, we got time for three. Yeah. Here. Yeah. We have time for one more. The movie is Witness. Mm, I've seen this. And it is Japanese horror. Okay. Gentlemen, pitch away. So Witness. From what year? Uh, 85. This is the Harrison Ford Amish movie. Yeah. Oh. So who are the Amish in Japan? That <laughs> is the first question we need to answer. And what is I the, think it's, so, so what is the element, though? It's Japanese... Horror. I think the Amish in Japan are the like the like the gray, gross human ghosts that are in Japanese horror. Yeah, and so I I think it's about a cop who goes to a town of just <laughs> Japanese ghosts 
to, to undercover help, as a Japanese ghost. It helps them raise a ghost barn. Yeah. So they have a place to live and what haunt. If, All right. What I'll if, definitely what buy if that William, one. William, or whatever his name, uh, Harrison Ford, is he the main character, right? Yeah. Yes. So he's the main guy. What if he becomes the ghost and then haunts the Amish? I, I have to I have to say, I Witness is a a, a solid movie. Um it's uh-huh. it's totally fine, not super memorable. He has a very uh like intense, like never quite consummated or maybe they do kiss in the end or whatever, but like it's clear that there's tension between him and the woman he's uh, going to protect. And there's Kelly McGillis. Yeah, there's one scene where he accidentally walks in on her doing like an Amish bath, and she defiantly stares at him. And <laughs> this is where he she gurgles from the throat and climbs across the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I think that scene we should leave in. That scene was pretty good. I think we should keep it. Or if it's Amish, uh, they crawl through the TV, but it's not plugged in. Like they just crawl through <laughs> yeah. cupboards or something. Yeah, because they can't watch it, but it's like it's they, yeah, they can't watch it. Uh, guys, I only have $3 billion, but I'm buying all of these pitches. Those were all <laughs> spectacular. And we're going to make $6 billion. When we come back, back to Return of the Living Dead. I gave a letter to the postman He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning He brought my letter She wrote upon it Return to sender Address unknown No such number Once again, guys, did such a good job, but now we have to go to the boring part. The movie... Uh, what 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 do, do you guys think that like the individual zombies the the way that the zombies are different uh the the makeup the set pieces the horror the special effects do you guys think that held up today watching this movie 35 years later the oh I'm, alex has his hand well yeah but it's either or i don't mind <laughs> <laughs> i alex, was just going to say that i think we get so many different types of zombie and we also get the beginning ones, which are a little bit more horrific in the sense that they don't really talk. And then it becomes unveiled that they do talk and then they do other things. And then they have the mix between the people who were alive and got the gas and became the zombies. And there's sort of the in between there, which is kind of horrifying as you think about it, because at first it's a, a body that was in the freezer. <laughs> that runs out eventually and attacks everybody, which is probably one of it's my favorite funniest Homer parts of Simpson's the movie. Homer Simpson's body, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's yellow, but <laughs> that scream and pick to the head was, uh, yeah. I didn't tell you, Alex. I, uh, Alex, I forgot to tell you before you came on the show that uh, Tompkins, really the only movies he watches are Simpsons based <laughs> porn. And so this was a real treat for him. Yeah. <laughs> This He's got here, really yeah. close to my interests. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for... no, Alex, I think that's insanely important because when you follow the rules, the and like specifically the Romero rules, that's that's interesting. You can do that, and that makes for like the classic zombie movies. But also at the same time, we're gonna see the same exact zombie every single time we see a zombie, and this one just fucking runs the gamut. If I would say 
that if Night of the Living Dead was Gremlins, Return of the Living Dead is Gremlins 2, the new batch, where we're seeing fucking spider gremlins, and flying gremlins, and everyone's getting crazy in this movie. Depending on who uh, you are, you may hate that movie, though. <laughs> I, I, as far as how... I will the... tell you this. Gremlins is the single greatest movie of all time, except for Gremlins 2, the new batch. That is, that is the first best movie of all time. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, when they add new Pokemon. Who, who doesn't love that? Um... As far as as far as how well this holds up, I think it's very much in this movie's favor that it does fast zombies because that gives you less of a chance to be like, oh, that doesn't look so so good. And yeah, in uh, especially an '80s zombie movie, you're gonna have your your two basic categories of zombie. You're gonna have the like set piece zombie where it's like we made a prop for this. And we went all out, and we're gonna like make sure this thing is on camera. And then you have we put gray face paint on an extra. And um, in um, Dawn of the Dead, I think that is very noticeable that they had not really figured out uh, zombie makeup yet. It really stands out in that. And this, I would say, makeup wise, for a lot of the zombies, they're not much further along. Um, but the zombies are just like full on sprinting and tackling people and shit. So it's still pretty scary. <laughs> Minus a few. There are a couple of uh, slow movers, I guess. There yeah. was the tar man. But I feel, yeah, I feel like they're choosing to be slow. Uh, Even have in like get... a 28 days later zombie world, if I turn, I am ambling. I am going to be <laughs> yeah. moseying along towards your brains. Until about two weeks when you haven't eaten. And uh, yes. are dying and rotting. <laughs> we have but to get is... to Tarman, or as I call him, because I have more respect than you guys do, Tarman. Um, <laughs> with, there are some shots here where he does just look like a guy uh, covered in oil. Like his clothes are messy, and that's it. But close up, when we see that fucking face and those fucking eyes, that is one of my favorite things in this entire season of 85 Horror. That guy looks fucking fucked up. Yeah. And it's... a fun fact about that, they use the same material, the the glistening, the like tar-ish sort of uh, silicon. It's called methacol, I think. I can't remember, but they used it in the movie The Blob 1988, which I hope you guys will add to your 88. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. One of mine, anyway. Blob and Beaches are definitely slotted in for... Oh, my God. <laughs> We're never going to... Hey, Alex, I forgot to tell you this, but uh, the only thing that Tompkins is into is naked Simpsons recreating the movie Beaches. That is just all he <laughs> thinks about and talks about. Is this a genre? <laughs> it's, it's a whole it's genre. Be- yeah. On my hard drive, it's definitely a genre. Oh. There's no, there's no <laughs> website Tompkins goes to more than r backslash uh, naked Simpsons recreating the movie Beaches. <laughs> it's tucked uh, deep under his bed with cobwebs and like yeah. a false wall. <laughs> <laughs> at a certain point the movie hits the you know like all these movies do they uh they put the pedal to the metal and you know the last like 20 minutes save a uh, nuclear bomb or whatever is just running around screaming and everyone's gonna die we don't know about the nuke yet did that work or did you guys miss dan o'bannon's good old-fashioned jokes and stuff i liked the i liked the crescendo um I mean, it kind of has to happen. And it is interesting, you know, like 
in the Romero movies, what is happening at this point is like the orgy of uh, body horror violence you know like like this is where romero pulls out all of the like sausage links and his his little uh goodies (laughs) um and here you get it's like kind of similar in tone but it's more of just this like it's just like a really frantic energy more than anything else alex what do you think about the last like 20 minutes or so I think it's pretty well paced. I think everything kind of uh, takes off and it doesn't really kind of it hits the ground running and it just keeps going. And there's just so many different fragmented pieces that just go off into other different stories. You got Frank, who's burning himself in the the crematorium. And you got uh, everybody rushing to the need. You need a supply medical facility and (laughs) trying to fight over there. And it's just. It just has a really good pace about it. And yeah. we kind of briefly talked about this uh, on one of the breaks, just uh, small, a little bit. Uh, but they they do this thing where they're looking at the tank at the very end. And I love that because it's like, well, why didn't we call this number in the first place? And it's like in the back of your mind, you're like, well, that's probably like the worst thing we should do, right? Like, but they have no other <laughs> options left. And so it's like that glimmering hope that they're like, can yeah. we, can we they're make like, the this? government could save us? Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dependent on them, right? They should be able to take care of it. That's what the government does save people, right? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I paid <I'm>... them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I want to talk about the ending in a little bit, but uh, the person that knows them, like the most that you should definitely call that number is the camera who it shows the it shows the tank and then it zooms in and says yep. look at this phone number do you see this phone number <laughs> memorize this number yeah and i rolled my eyes and i was like i bet these jerks aren't gonna call that they should totally call it and i bet they won't and then after watching the movie i'm like oh shit they would have got nuked way before if yeah. they had called that fucking phone number <laughs> right never call the police for anything guys <laughs> That's that's why this movie is so 2020. It's way yeah. ahead not of its ever time call the number. Yeah. <laughs> one uh one other thing that we got to on the we, uh, on the break that's that's related to this um but it it's more humor related but I do think it deserves a mention in the podcast now that we talked about it, is how the setup to this whole thing is that a guy starts working at a medical lab uh, or a medical warehouse and asks his boss, like, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen here? And the boss is like, well, I've got a zombie in the basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, if the, the guy that the new employee, Frank, I think, should have yeah. been like, uh, you know what? Second craziest. Tell yeah. me a different story. <laughs> like, do not finish this thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a funny because because it's very, you know, like, uh, 28 Days Later, the other fast zombie movie, you know, like a, a, a big innovation there was um, skipping the troublesome how did all this start thing by having the guy be in a coma. This right. like tackles that in a completely different approach by just like being like, <laughs> yeah, I got a zombie in the basement. You want to go check it out? <laughs> he like slaps the side of the container and is like, ah, oh, now an army engineers made this. And then immediately this like deadly mist sprays out of it. It's it's just like a fun way to kick things off. Typical so army too, but- fuck up, you know? Yeah. Like, t- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
They got the the, the orders crossed, you know. And this and was like the during whole a time premi- period. Uh-huh. The whole premise of the movie is not of the living dead. What did really happen? And the army said George Romero can make the movie, but you better leave this part out. Like the yeah. army was like, "Oh no, for sure, tell this story, or we'll sue like, you." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Famously litigious U.S. Army. Um, <laughs> I uh, I also think that this is just to to, to bring Cold War shit back into it. This it's it. This was during a period of time where like an occasional news story you'd hear is the army lost some nukes and are trying to find them. <laughs> so like the idea of like you know. Uh, yeah, they're just sitting in a basement in a warehouse. Like it's it's that same thing. It's like very heightened and ridiculous, but uh, there's just enough basis in reality, I think, to to make it work. Which they continued yeah, on in part two, by the way. The lost barrels. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, those barrels are always going to be lost. The, the thing I uh, that like hit so hard too is that I thought in this time that uh, like every movie was going to be about how the U.S. was against some country that was in the middle east that doesn't have a real name or russia or whatever and this movie was like all horror movies take place in the poorest part of any town that the army has no problem or the government has no problem just nuking the fuck out of that you know like we will definitely lose that part of our country that's not a problem at all there's not even going to be talking about it yeah only four thousand dead I think they said yeah. or something like it's that. It's only four thousand. Yeah. Which yeah. sounds like a lot until you think about COVID. Yeah. And... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. That means it is the speed round. Here we go. Alex, do not raise your hand, just shout out answers. Is this movie commenting on punks? Or do punks just happen to be in it? They just happen to be in it. You don't think that the director wanted to like sort of tackle some counterculture? I think they wanted it to make it modern for its time, and that's very relevant for its time, and it is interesting. It I definitely think. makes it 80s as fuck. Right. Yeah. It's it's very um yeah, it's very like fully appropriated punk where with like all of the, you know, teeth are gone from it. It's fully like you know, a thing high schoolers do to like make their parents upset, but there's no, there's none of that like you know, late seventies like wild new punk feel to it, which is also very accurate for the eighties. That's the that's the place it was. I agree. Yeah, it was all sort of weak. Um, going back to the ending real quick, and I I think that I've changed my mind based on talking to you two. Does the ending seem poignant or does it just feel tacked on? Was this movie capable of having the ending that it does? The Doctor Strangelove-esque ending. I liked it. I mean, again, like it, it, it set everything up. Um, you know, it, it like put in the work, I guess, to like pull that off. And it, yeah, like I, I think that the ending just works well with the style of humor. And the, and like the general sensibilities of of the movie, it's a very like um, that's the thing. It's not like a hopeless movie, and I, I, that's also why I think the the punk stuff does kind of work. It's just very like, yeah, we're fucked, but like, whatever, fuck you, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I also think that it's it's kind of relevant that you know we're dealing with the Reagan era, and we're talking yeah. about kids fighting back against all of that stuff punks in particular too so it's relevant in that sense that they're kind of 
working together and not working together, the punks end up being, in some regards, the heroes. But it's all thwarted by the end because we destroyed ourselves, which is what it it feels like. It's also interesting that uh, the, excuse me, Ryan, uh, the government kills them, but so much of what causes the initial suffering is like baby boomers, basically. Sure. Like, yeah. Their bosses. Being stupid. And stuff like that. like yeah. not having enough information young. and showing off. Like, the, right. the whole fucking thing starts because that fucking baby boomer was like, oh, let me show you some stuff at, my, at your new job. Because yeah. Frank's bored. He's been in that job forever. He gets some new young blood. He's got to show Perfect. off a little bit to the young buck. And, 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 when, yeah, and he does. When they're complaining about the poison and shit. The first thing the boss does is like, hey, if you want to keep your job, you'd better. And he's like, I love fuck that. you. This is, yeah. And that's highly relatable. Watch your mouth if you like this job. Someone like whose job, job is to <laughs> shovel shit directly into your mouth every day being like, watch it. or. <laughs> and I don't know if he's making a point. You have. Yeah. And I don't know if he, Dan or whoever wrote it was making this point or not. But the kid did say, hey, this thing doesn't leak, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean and then he's like ah it's corps of engineers you know like army yeah. engineers and then they die so maybe the old people don't always know everything <laughs> it did it did not hit me that this was baby boomers and or this is like conservatives and liberals working together liberals are punk rockers and conservatives true. are old white men until the end when i was watching them work together and the way that they say fuck they say fucking different ways. Yeah. And like the old men are just so crotchety and the punks are just like, what the fuck was that? Uh, that's when I was like, oh, this is generational. This movie's doing some things. Last one. There's a character named Bert in this movie and he hangs out with a character named Ernie in this movie. Is this fine? I think Bert's and Ernie should be friends. Okay. That's an okay, that's an okay thing to do is just have two characters that hang out in, throughout the entire movie named Bert and Ernie. <laughs> Um, I know a little show that, uh, you know, got a lot of mileage out of a similar dynamic. What the fuck? What do you, is Sex in the City? Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Tom Gins. Uh, that's the speed around. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to give this movie all of the awards that it should have got at Oscar time. All right, gentlemen, it is awards time. We are going to give Return of the Living Dead all of the awards that it should have gotten so long ago. We're going to start with an award called Most 80s Moment. And I know what you're thinking. This movie came out in 1985. It's probably like, what was like the most 80s? Is it like uh, the costumes or the hair? But no, it's H-E's. It's A-T-E-I-S-E-Z. <laughs> I think eighties moment. Like who got eight who got eight the best? Uh Alex, we're gonna start with you. Who got eaten the best in this movie? Oh, see, you didn't clarify this beforehand. <laughs> um okay, let me think about this for just a second. I thought you meant straight up eighties. I know it's confusing, right? Uh, uh, it really playing. is there. Um <laughs> 
Um, Tompkins, you go. Yeah, you okay. go ahead. I have a, this would have been better uh, coming second, but that's okay. Uh, my choice for for who got eaten up the best is everyone at the end. Big nuke comes and destroys them, and I know what you're thinking. That's not them getting eaten up. That's them getting nuked. Here's what I have to say about that. These are people who are eaten up by the zombies on Capitol Hill. (laughs) By the zombie clowns in Congress. It's deep, man. Uh, Chewed up, spit out by the system. I'm glad the horror movie podcast version of Glenn Beck could join us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Alex, uh, that's what you have to beat, and I bet you can. What do you got? (laughs) Yeah, I could pretty much do anything at this point. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) So I would say one of the things, one of the kills that I'm really pleases me is probably when Spooky goes downstairs and gets bitten by Tarman. And the reason why is because it's really unsettling to know that someone can bite into your skull. Uh, And that, that in particular is something that I don't think could really be done by a zombie, but it's pretty impressive nonetheless. Through the skull and then slurp up your brain like a milkshake. The the strongest of the punks gets taken down first. The last thing you hear as you're dying is just someone (laughs) slurping up that smooth brain of yours. (laughs) I don't don't like that sound when somebody does that two tables away from me in a restaurant. (laughs) Much less directly into my head. That's Alex's point. Uh, that reminded me, uh, talking about Tarman, um, we did, when we were talking about comedy, we didn't talk about how they were like, you can't beat these people. Don't ever die. And then one of the guys just picks up a pipe and fucking hits that guy's head off as hard as he possibly can. Just hits a home run. And quote unquote, knock his block off, right? Not, yeah. No, I'm going to knock his block off. <laughs> fucking conservatives. All right. I. <laughs> Alex, you're going to do this one first. This movie has two performances from movies of our season. Uh, yes. Clue Gulager. Gulager? Clue Gulager? Clue Clue Gulager. Uh, was the dad from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And then Miguel Nunez Jr. was the uh, homeless guy in a van uh, from Friday the 13th Part 5. From those two, Alex, who did the best job in this movie? Obviously, this is without a doubt Miguel Nunez because Demon, as his name and character is in the movie, not only has, and of course, Friday the 13th, The New Beginning, just for you guys that need to know, his performance may stink to some, but I think it was ripe with duets and bad humor. <laughs> Because he gets killed on the John, or well, sort of uh, yeah. talks about the enchiladas and yeah, yeah, it's it's what I think is the perfect relationship. Hey, baby, I have to go take a hot shit. Can you come <laughs> next? And, can you come sing with me as I, I take know. a dump? Well, like, yeah. why are they singing together <laughs> on the toilet? Like, really? Like, have a moment. Just take a break. <laughs> but they love each other. Tompkins, where are you going? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with. Uh... Um, Klugeluger as um, who does he play again? What's what's he in this? Not Frank. He's the other guy, the other conservative dude. Yeah, whatever his name is. I go. He's the guy who hits. He's the guy who knocks blocks off. Yeah, as knock blocker. Uh, my reasoning is, um, Demon is like 
perhaps the sole bright spot of Friday the 13th Part 5. Um, and Arguably. he he brings a similar charm to this. Um, but he got plenty of uh, accolades already in that episode. Uh, Klugeluger, uh <laughs> His only job in Freddy Part 2 was to notice that a toaster had caught on fire without being unplugged and to go, oh, toaster's unplugged. Moving um, on with my life? Yeah. <laughs> in this, he has a lot more to do, and he is one of the best, like, over-actors in the entire thing. When When everyone is, like, panicking and freaking out, he is, like, method, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's really impressive to see him like he really understood what the director wanted when he said like go big Tompkins good point it's obviously going to Miguel A. Nunez Jr. <laughs> who doesn't Do guys, like a poop duet come on <laughs> do you guys remember before the poop duet when he was in his van that uh, had every type of food that has ever existed oh yeah <laughs> just like, do you want pizza do you want egg roll my uh, van has it all Tompkins, you're up first for cringiest moment. What was the time where you were like, come on, it's 2020? Uh, for me, it was when, um, I, I once again, it's a tough one. Anyone's names. Uh, uh, da, 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 trash is trash. Yeah. She has finished stripping. Um, she has finished, uh, grabbing. Uh, suicide's dick all that stuff is done and for the rest of the movie she is just like tits out hanging around naked until she is dead and then she's a tits out zombie and I just like the whole time I felt so bad for that actress who just had to like stand around I guess 100% naked except for a uh, little tiny prosthetic thing. Yeah, her little and copies. Just be, when and, she started and, and doing it, her, her graveyard dance, did you guys hear somebody in the background of her gang be like, oh, she's doing it again? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, even once she finally gets a shirt, like, they kind of like take pains to make sure you can still see her tits through the shirt. And it's just like, it just felt like a little too much. <laughs> Alex, what's your cringiest moment? Well, I, I I have a caveat to that. What he just said, just to just to nail home my point. Mm-hmm. Um, Trash, who's played by Linnea Quigley, is quite uh, one of the biggest uh, horror actresses in the industry, and she is very uh, empowered in a lot of her roles. So, I think that that. While the shaving thing obviously was not something she liked, as she stated, but I think uh, I think that she was all about that scene because she knew all about it. She's very strong in the horror scene, that... but oh, go ahead. But however, <laughs> but what were we gonna say? Go ahead. If it's it's, it's about I, I that. I should say that the 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 strip tease and all of that stuff is not included in my. I, okay, I clip it just, after I, that, my totally my award cool. is 
the the port where all of that is done, there's really no reason for her to be still naked. And she still, oh, as an actress, <laughs> just has to hang out naked in what looks like real rain so that... Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. It feels like it maybe gets to a point. Yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> there is <laughs> other parts in the movie, and this was kind of difficult for me to really grasp on. But there is one scene, and, and this is always debated heavily in horror, is animal abuse. I'm going to get real for you for a little bit here. There's <laughs> a half dog animal in this movie yeah. that gets the, the crutch to the face repeatedly. <laughs> and dead or not, it's still an animal and it deserves respect. Okay. I don't like hearing dogs squeal. So that's my cringiest moment. It's not very woke. You are very woke. That's Hopkins point. Do you guys think that, uh... <laughs> Damn it. Do you guys think that when Liana Quigley asked where she should put the cod piece, the director was like, Quigley, uh, down under. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, we're going to move on to director's signature move. Uh, Alex, we're going to go to you. What was the Dan O'Banniest moment of this movie? Uh, Dolly shots, or as some would call it, zoom, zoom, zoom. (laughs) He likes to zoom in on shots on a dolly all the time. Up and back, up and back throughout the whole film. And I watched that happen repeatedly throughout the whole film. And I honestly like it. I think it's a good addition to it. It wasn't exactly like a 90s zoom in on the VHS camcorder. It was a dolly shot. But he does a lot of dolly shots in this. And I think that's kind of his signature thing. It was weird because he does it a lot. But it's not like a steady cam. I'm going to put you in the in the like the world of the scene that's going on right now it's mm-hmm. not like documentary style it's just i don't know uh this is i don't want this to be boring and then just like moves the camera accordingly almost Talking like a, almost kind of like a um like a music video like he kind of right. like wants to make it seem like it's flowing to whatever atmosphere or music is happening right Tompkins, where are we going uh i'm going to nominate the scene uh where tarman first speaks um, it's such a good combination of like I think this movie's like two strongest features, which are uh some really really good practical effects and uh breaking the Romero rules at the same time. Um, and it's like legitimately surprising to hear a zombie speak. That zombie is fugly, and uh, it just really is like an iconic moment that's like very much from the. The director's mind. Shit, those are both really good. And I think that they both do, like, give a middle finger to Romero in their various ways. I'm going to go give it to Alex by a hair and then go to Tompkins for uh, pound-for-pound performance. Now, Klugeluger, uh, you've already (laughs) given an award to, Tompkins. Uh And I hope you nominate him again so we can say his name. (laughs) <laughs> I would love to nominate Klugeluger for this, but instead of nominating Klugeluger, I will be nominating uh, James Karen as Frank, who is the boss of the warehouse who tells the zombie story and then undergoes the zombification process, then has to call his boss, Klugeluger, to help him. Uh, I, I mean, he does such... I mean... 
his his overacting is is great his panicked acting is great it's very like uh fun but convincing at the same time but he has to pull some real weight at at points in this movie like especially both comedic and dramatic um but the the first couple scenes like really hinge on his performance when he is telling the story of how the army accidentally delivered these real zombies from the movie night of the living dead to his basement and they're still there and we should go check them out like the movie really falls apart very quickly if he doesn't deliver that with like just the right amount of wink just the right amount of uh real drama and like screen presence um it's 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 very much like an ensemble movie but i was very impressed by what he did based on listening to you say that i wish instead of uh combining 85 movies with different horror genres we instead took this premise and said james karen is saying that these different 85 movies actually happen and just having him (laughs) having him tell this new employee that out of africa that shit really happened and then we're (laughs) Where do we go from there? And it's in my basement. <laughs> There's a fucking tank of out of Africa in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, James Karen, who do you got instead of that or also that? Um, well, <clears throat> James Karen is definitely a tour de force in this movie in particular because of his way to narrate the historical events that happened and his like how he reacts to everything. Plus Everywhere James Karen goes, apparently disaster strikes because he even uh, helped people move into a house uh, for poltergeist and uh, (laughs) swindled them into it. So he's kind of a wreck. So I would argue (laughs) that Alan Troutman, the Tarman for yourself, Ryan, is one of the best actors in the movie because not only does he not say anything, technically, I'm sure he never said a word. But his body performance is probably one of the most memorable zombies in history because of how he moves, he slinks, and has so much expression with everything that he does in that basement. I think that he is probably one of the more memorable zombies. And the only other one that I could compare is from Day of the Dead, which is Bub. Yeah. I think Bub and Tarbin like, are going to be shining stars of this entire season. I think so. Just like, I mean, Tarman, not- I think, beats it by a bit because he's doesn't have a huge part, but he is like the biggest part. Like somehow he made that last in people's minds and their nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, this is very like, and should Andy Circus be nominated for Best Actor territory? Where like, obviously the work he does is impressive, but it does stretch the definition slightly. Right. Uh, especially with this, we talked a lot about Bub and Day of the Dead. With this, it's almost more of like a stunt performance than an acting performance uh at at this point. But Bub is certain or not Bub, uh Tarman is certainly like the iconic thing of this movie. Yeah, I think so, personally. I think he's so expressive for something that's so dead. That you would never expect yeah. <laughs> to see that from a, a zombie. And the correct answer was, of course, Clue Gulliger. Uh, <laughs> that's his name, guys. So 
Uh, the awards are as follows for the eighties, and that means eating. Uh, it's the uh, zombie bite to the skull that sounds like somebody eating soup, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, the best second performance of the season goes to Miguel A. Nunez Jr. Cringiest moment is trash being naked all the time. Uh, director signature, I think I gave to both of you, which is Tarman yes. Speaks and uh, the the dollies and uh, how much he moves the camera around. And the power for power performance is Clue Gulliger. No. Clue Gulliger? Yeah, there it is. Clue Gulliger. I, I thought it was, but who knows? <laughs> Not anymore. And you can tell his estate that. His name is now changed. <laughs> we'll be sued uh, later. When we come back, uh, we're going to total up the points, and I'm going to discuss with you two how far we think this movie's going to go in the bracket. Gentlemen, phenomenal show. Alex, uh, well, Tom, I'm going to thank you for nothing, but Alex, I'm going to thank you so much for being here tonight. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's fun to talk shop, so to speak, with uh, things actually, that I disappeared I into as like a child. I would like to thank me for being here tonight. To thank who? Me. Oh, okay. I thought you were going <laughs> to thank me or Alex. Do you want to Do you want to thank me and, <laughs> Well, no one else is thanking Alex? me. <laughs> thank you, Tompkins. Thank you. Oh, come Thank on, you, dude. Now I have to hear about that for the rest of the week. Uh, did you hear when Alex thanked me, by the way? <laughs> he needed it, man. I wanted to help. You know, it's all yeah. good here. I got to say, guys, wrapping up this season, I was a little nervous. Are we done with good movies? Um, I think that I like this movie watching it. And then after talking to you two, I like it even more. I think this is a fucking successful movie. No? Yeah. Agreed. My opinion of it is rising by the minute. Just like your penis? <laughs> Similarly, yeah. Like which one? Uh, a little... Boom shakalaka! Okay, now, I said, <laughs> and now I'm back. Here we go. Um, yeah, I think that... Uh, I don't know if it's going to take the whole thing down, but um, I had a really good time watching it, and yeah. uh, I've I really want to stress on how well it did with setting its tone almost immediately and then taking me with it as opposed to uh, a lot of times I go into these with arms crossed and fight it the entire time. And (laughs) uh, this movie did not do that for me. But now that it's it's about you two. So, Tompkins, you had 33 points, which which I think is... uh, That's a really strong showing, right? That's pretty good for me. 33 points... For a guest, Alex, you had 31, which it does turn out that Tompkins won. And for that, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's and, it's rigged. It's rigged. <laughs> 2020. Uh, Alex, it is rigged, but it was rigged for you and you still lost. So I don't know how much you want to scream. <laughs> Damn it. I uh, um normally I lose and I am certain I should have won. <laughs> I am not sure what to do with being in the position of uh, winning and feeling like I should have lost. Tompkins, I'll take the this win. No due. problem. Yeah, yeah let's... there you go. <laughs> I got this. No problem. Don't feel bad. <laughs> and Alex, right there, through your sacrifice, you get your $5,000 deposit back. So that was very <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Well, hold on. <laughs> Actually, 
Because... Oh, it went, just went through, Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. You guys I'm happy have probably to give you back your the money. Guy standing behind me, uh, this entire podcast is, and you can see he's shaking his head right now in a way that implies. I I, I just assumed that was your father. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but there are also also your bookie. <laughs> yeah, man, Texas is weird. Um. <laughs> So yeah, Alex, one more time before we do our plugs, tell us about Beyond the Void and how we get to it and why we would. Well, see, back in the day, many, many years ago, there was a podcast that was created and it is known as Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. And if you like horror, let me tell you, friends, we got old, new, we even make up our own fucking new movies based on movies that you gave us titles for, and we pull it out of a diamond skull with crystal eyes. Or I can think we, it might be the other way around, but who cares? Uh, can we do that right now? What's that? Do yeah, you, I have it right here, like, actually. Look. Do you have a pen and paper? Can we give you some titles right now? Absolutely. I'll put them in there 100%. All and right, I even uh, tell well, everybody who, you know, what their name is, and then we put it on the poster design and... And like, you know, because I do a faux cover for it. And I what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people that I like or, you know, it's always been friends. But I'm trying to get like writers, directors, producers and people to sit down with me to make up a movie on the spot. And then we add, you know, actual sound effects to the the story as we're doing it, which is fun. effects. It's a lot of work, so we don't do it all the time. But we do do. Boom shakalaka. Boom goes oh, uh, the dynamite, but yeah. Also, I have this one. <laughs> you hear that? Is that the Wilhelm? Is that what they call it? I don't remember. That is, yeah. All right, um, Tompkins, let's give him like two or three. Do you have any titles, Tompkins? Yes. Um, Moon turned me into a scary monster. <laughs> That's it? Period? Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, what is... Okay, hold on. Let me write this down here. <laughs> I'm like, is wait, there a, titles? What are we talking about? Okay. Is there Moon? punctuation in there, Tompkins? Uh, based on how I said it, every <laughs> word has an ellipsis between it. <laughs> Moon turned <laughs> me into... I thought, that was, I thought that was internet lag, but that's just how you talk. <laughs> so Moon turned me what? Just into, into a monster. Okay, you sure you don't want to leave it open because it's kind of suspenseful. Moon, t- okay. Moon turned me into ellipses. Is the, but, but I mean, it, it will be a monster though. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right, Alex, um, uh, write this shit down. Okay, but nickel. <laughs> I'll make a movie. Okay, I have another one. <laughs> but nickel, got it. Um, this one I will want back after the episode because it is a uh, script I'm currently working on. Uh, but this one is called Me Having Teeth Now. Some place you would not expect. <laughs> uh, Vagina is... Dentata? <laughs> I will uh, have to see. All right, one more. Uh huh. Death Toast. You know, we've had a toast before, actually. Hold on, let's see. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that means, like, at a wedding or <laughs> potted bread. 
Ooh, <laughs> you know, I actually came up with a movie called Wedding Night. That was about uh, two guys getting married at a wedding and killing everybody for not supporting them being gay. That's and, are they, uh, they, are they kill everybody to um, men without hats. We can dance if you want to. <laughs> and it's amazing. And I am going to make that movie. I swear to God. We can dance if we want to. We can marry our best friend. Uh, Tompkins, we're only going to plug Beyond the Void because I already put commercials of ours into throughout the episode. So we're not going to do that shit. All we're going to do is say, again, thank you to Alex. Tompkins, thank you. There you go. There's your thank thank you, guys. It was a blast. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe one of these days I'll thank Ryan. Yeah. No. That's is that a horror title? Alex turned that into a horror movie. <laughs> One of these days I'll thank Ryan. That's, he just talks that's to gonna a, be a skull the whole movie. <laughs> Next episode is Reanimator, our final movie of the bracket. Thank you everyone for listening for Alex, for Tompkins. I am Ryan. Good night and keep watching those movies. <laughs> <laughs>